Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Hey, special happy, uh, happy Father's Day to all you men who are. It's, it is a great calling. It is a great calling to be a father. It is. A, it is work. Uh, I understand that. Uh, it's a privilege, and so, man, uh, God bless you. Uh, today as you father, and uh, may you model the father in your homes, and uh, it's just a, a great blessing. And so we're excited that you're here today. I believe that uh, the Spirit of God wants to speak to you today. I, I believe he's already spoken, and so I think he'll continue to. Before we start, I just want to acknowledge this. Uh, some of you will be more familiar with this than others, but today is also Juneteenth. And if you don't understand Juneteenth, it's very important. It is a significant holiday, and I believe so in the church. Uh, Juneteenth commemorates when the last uh, slave in Texas, specifically down in Galveston, found out that they had been emancipated two and a half years after it had actually occurred. So you think about the long history of slavery, and then you think, oh, shh, let's not tell anyone. Let's just keep things as they are. And two and a half years later, the last slave finds out. And so Juneteenth commemorates that. And here's the deal. I know that the word justice means a lot of things today. I understand that. Let's not let the world have this. Justice is a biblical value. Justice is entirely biblical. And so I know that it gets, it gets messy out there, but it's at the heart of God. You cannot read the Old Testament prophets without understanding justice. And so that's what Juneteenth is about. And so two things that we do on Juneteenth. Number one, we lament. We lament what happened. We lament that it was hidden for another two and a half years. We can lament any injustices that we see. I mean, truly unjust, truly unjust. And the other thing is that we celebrate. We celebrate what's happened. We celebrate some progress that's been made. And we celebrate what I believe God will do and continue to do through his church. Because I think the church ought to lead the way on this stuff, right? Justice is a biblical value. So would you just bow your heads with me for just a minute? Father, this morning, we're grateful that you are a God of justice. We acknowledge, God, that justice is on your heart. It is who you are. And so, Father, in these days, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us a sensitivity? Father, would you give us a heart and a passion? We thank you, Father, that that great injustice legally was stopped in our country way back then. We thank you for the progress that's being made. Father, we pray that progress would continue to be made. We pray that we would just pursue justice from your model, God. Would you do that? We praise you. We worship you. This is just another aspect of who you are, and it's another opportunity for us to worship you. And so we do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today, you might find, how, how is Juneteenth being celebrated in my community? And, and who would I celebrate that with? But I think it's significant. We, we can't just roll over that. Uh, we're continuing our a series today on the book of Luke. And we've been in this for a while. And we'll be, uh, for those of you who need to know specifics, we'll be uh, for a while more is how long we're going to be there. And so, uh, uh, so some of you know this, that depending on the circle that you run in, each circle has its own jargon. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they have their own jargon that they just throw around. If you're really into working out, maybe there's a specific jargon that you use when you're, when you're working out and it's just common jargon to you. Uh, if you're into uh, higher education, I've learned this in recent years, higher education has its own vernacular. 
and its own vocabulary. And they just say things and rattle things off that they all understand and it means something to them. And the rest of us are like, I have no clue. And so, right, you have the GMAT as is a, is a, is a admissions test for those people going into to, in the areas of business. Maybe you want to get a, 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 an MBA, something like that, a type of degree, right? And so they talk about the GMAT. The LSAT is to, to get into law school. It's an admissions test to get into law school. You have the MCATs. It's an admissions school uh, test to get into uh, medical school. And so very oftentimes in, in higher education, they just throw terms out there. You know the GMAT. You know the, we could have thrown up there the GRE. You know the LSAT. You know the MCAT. And, and they just talk about it. And, and we kind of go, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. And sometimes when you're in those circles, they throw those terms out. And I'm not sure they always understand the full implications of it. Uh, some of you are sports fans. And in particular, if you're a baseball fan, you like to throw out numbers like ERA and OPS. Oh, yeah, his ERA is 3.1. And, and everybody's like, oh, right on. I don't know what that is. But right on. That's great, you know. Or, or the OPS is the number that's, that's become a, a big number now in, in, for baseball fans. It's on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. And so it's a real indicator of how effective someone is at the plate, right? You put those numbers together, you get a number, and you're like, well, his OPS was 1,000. You're like, wow. And if you don't know, just go, Wow, just do it, just go along with it, right? Uh, I was with a broker probably almost 30 years ago, and I was just starting to think about retirement, and I'm just starting to plan, you know, and I'm sitting down with this broker, and we're talking about where money is going to be invested, and there was a hot stock out there, and it's going crazy. And he goes, well, their P.E. ratio is really low, and I was like, oh, fantastic, and, and we kept going on and talking about it, and I was like, so you think we're going to do it? And he goes, well, their P.E. ratio is really low, and I was like, great, we love our low P.E. No, no, P.E. ratio is, 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 is prices and earnings, it's profits and earnings, it's prices, right, it's it's talking about this ratio and it gives you a real clear understanding of the value of that, right? And so you're like, oh, we, we want higher? Okay, yeah, I'm for that too, that's great. Uh, sometimes there are military terms. Military has all kinds of terms. They have all kinds of, I have no idea what they're, you know. And so one of them now that's become a real phrase is I got you six, I got you six. Well, you think of a clock, this is 12 o'clock, is straight ahead, six o'clock is right behind you. It means I got your back, don't sweat this, I got your back. So I got you six, I'm like, okay, I'll get you nine next time. Don't worry about it, like I just, you know, you just go with it. And then cookies, we got all these technological terms and nobody has, I I just know this, we should always be accepting cookies. Somebody say amen, right? Like how is it, how can it be wrong to accept a cookie, right? And so this happens in these circles and they just start using jargon and they just start using jargon. It's just common jargon. And I'm not sure anybody outside the circle knows what these terms mean, but I would also say this, inside of that circle, sometimes I think we don't understand the full implications of that term. Listen to me, the church is another one of those. In the church, in the Christian world, we just throw terms out. We just throw terms out. And everybody's supposed to understand, oh, you, you, you know we're talking about this. And we use these words. And people outside the church, if you're, if you're a person who's here today, you don't normally go to church, you don't call yourself a Christian, right? I, I love the fact that you're here, by the way. But, but we say things all the time, and you're just like, yeah, right on. Like, and the truth is, just so you know this, church folks don't always understand what these things mean. Or we don't understand the full implication or the full weight of it, but we all just use the term, yeah, yeah. So we're going to look at one of those terms today. I think this is really important if you're church folks. If you're church folks, so we stop and we think and we get reminded about it, I think that's really important. And if you're somebody who doesn't go to church, you may have heard this phrase, you know, but do you really understand the implication? I think it's going to be good for everybody. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 is where we're at today. And uh, uh, let, me, let me just throw this out. While you're looking that up, while you're looking that up, uh, let me just throw this out. Next week, next week, there's some things that I think the church, some damage that I, I, I just personally believe the church has done, and it's seen in the culture that way. And there are a lot of folks who are saying, 
I'm okay with God, I'm not okay with the church. You, you know what I'm talking about? They're not really walking away from God, they're just walking away from the church. Okay, I think we need to notice that. We, we have to take note of that. And some of these things we need to own, and I think next week we're going to do that. I think next week will be a good example. It's an old, old story you've all heard before, but we're going to own some stuff. We're going to talk about that. I think it'll be really healthy, really good for us. And so what I'm saying is here's who you should think of right now. Who do you know who doesn't go to church? You ready? You got it? You got your, your, your thing you cap on? Who do you know who doesn't go to church? They used to, and they, if you asked them, they would say this, well, I was hurt by the church. Anybody know somebody like that? I was hurt by the church, and they don't go anywhere. They don't go to church anymore. If you don't know someone like that, you don't know anybody. Because there's a ton of people that are out there saying that right now today. I was hurt by the church. Now, the, the reality is, and I always say this, a brick didn't fall on them, right? It's people. People. And so we're going we're gonna to look into some of that next week. I would say if you know somebody like that, get busy praying for them right now and then invite them to church next week because we're going to own some of that stuff. It tends to be very healing for those people and it tends to redirect them. And so I would say if you know someone like that, you invite them next week, you bring them, you go pick them up, you take them out to breakfast first if you need to, then you bring them to church. All right, let's stand to our feet if you would. Luke chapter 13. If you're newer here, just so you know this, we, we won't up down the whole morning, right? But we always stand when we read our primary text. And the reason is this, I say this every week, it reminds us, it's, a, it's just a physical reminder. This is God speaking. This is God speaking. He's speaking to you right now and he's speaking to me. Start in verse 22. It says this. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, Will only a few be saved? Jesus replies, verse 24, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For, for many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Verse 26, then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he'll reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east, west, north, and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. Verse 30, and note this. Some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We receive it. It is teaching to us. It is life and truth. So Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to give us understanding. We desperately need you, Holy Spirit, to speak, to teach, and to draw us to the Savior. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so we're going to find a term that we use in the church all the time, and we just say it like it's no big deal. We just say it like everybody and their brother understands it, and a lot of folks don't. And I'm not sure, again, I would say this, if we understand the full weight of it or the full implications, uh, even for Christians. So look at your passage. Look at verse 22. 22 says this. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jesus. Now get this. Jesus has been up in Galilee. That's the northern region. And he's been having ministry. And he knows what his job is. He knows his mission. His mission was to come, suffer, 
die, and he'll rise again. And he's been telling people that he's going to be doing that. But now he's moving down toward Jerusalem. He's pressing on toward Jerusalem. He knows this the whole time. Just for a thought, like, can you imagine how heavy that would be? Being God, he's, he's fully aware. He knows exactly how he's going to suffer. He knows what's going to happen, but he keeps pressing on. So as he's pressing on, as he's going to Jerusalem, right, he's, he's passing through all these towns and villages, and the whole time he's teaching. He constantly teaches, right? So this is an instance where he's teaching. People gather around Jesus, and now he's going to teach. And so somebody asked him a question, and the question is this. Lord, will only a few be saved? Now, we're going to get to this word in just a minute. We're going to get to this word, but I want you to know this. This is the classic example. The question that was asked ain't really the question. This is not the real question. We know it's not the real question because we see how Jesus answers it. He answers because he's God in the vein that he knows it's really concerning people. This is the classic one. Like, the question isn't the question. We do this all the time. We do this with each other all the time. I'm just going to, if you're single, you'll get this. But if you're married, you totally get this. Because husband and wives, you've done this. And I'll give you the classic example. You all know this. Husband and wife standing either in the bedroom or in the closet. This has happened at our house. My wife has said this to me. The wife will look at the husband and say, is that your underwear? <laughs> now in our house, I look at the underwear, I look at my wife. I look at my underwear and I'm thinking in my head, if that is not my underwear, we have bigger issues. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that better be my underwear. That's not the real question. The real question is, why don't you pick that up? Why would you leave it there? Okay, just so you know, that's not the real question. And we're going to find out what the real question is based on how Jesus answers it. Now, let me get to the word saved, because saved is a word that we use in the church all the time. You're saved. Is he saved? Is she saved? Are you saved? When do you get saved? And we use that phrase all the time. And I'm saying this, that outside the church, if you don't call yourself a church folk, I, I would really appreciate just, we don't have time, but I'd love, do you hear that? And what do you think that means? And what does that mean to you? Let me just tell you this. We're, it, it, we do throw that around a lot, and it does have a very significant meaning to us. I would say this. My, my belief is that we kind of know what it means in church. I'm not sure we understand the full impact is what I would say. We don't understand the full impact. Now, watch how uh, – I'll, I'll give you this first. This is the Greek word. It's sozo, and it means this. In the Greek, it means to save, it means to heal, to preserve, or to rescue. And so the word saved can mean some different things in the scriptures. It could simply be they were healed. That person would say, oh, they were healed. It can mean they've had an evil demon cast out of them. We saw that in the scripture. The demon was cast out of them and they were saved. However, in this, and but let, me, let me point this out as well. I want you to remember this. Would you please just remember this word for me at the end when we get to, remember the word rescue. It also means to rescue. Uh, but but, uh, but, but we, we throw it out there, and it, this is what we, just so you know, this is what we tend to mean in the church. Because in this context, it's used in the overall view. It is the overall view. In other words, your overall salvation. In other words, your eternal being, your spirit and your soul, which will live on forever. We know this physical body dies, right? Humans are about zero for a billion. Everybody who comes here dies, Right? But the spirit and the soul are the eternal, and they live on forever. And so the understanding here is, how can, if I'm saved, how can a person be saved is what this woman is really asking. How can someone be saved? That's what she wants to know. How can someone be, be made whole? How can they be made right with God? How can they have their sins forgiven? Now get this, how can they know that they know for sure that when they die, their spirit will not descend into hell for eternal torment, but rather they will spend eternity in hell? 
heaven with God? How can they know that, that they will have eternal life? How can they have eternal life start right now? How can they live into that right now? That's the real question. That's the sense of being saved. That's the sense in this context. Okay, now watch what Jesus says. Here's how he starts to answer. He replies, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. Now, there's a ton there. Let me give you this one first. And this is not the point, so I'm just taking you over here for a second. It's not the point, but I just want to point this out. He says, many will try. This is one of the challenges that we have in Christianity. It's so counterintuitive. And so here's what we try to do to earn salvation, is we try to do good. We try to be better. We, we try to do all the right things. We try to be in all the right places, say the right things. You cannot try your way to salvation. You cannot try your way into eternal life. The Bible is so, so clear about this. I don't know how we get this messed up, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith in Christ. Right, grace is a gift. You get saved, you receive salvation like this. And you receive it when you place your faith. It's not just a cognitive faith. It is an all-encompassing faith. My complete trust, I surrender my life. Faith in Christ. Okay, so that's not the main point, but I just want to point that out. We're trying too hard, and people try. Do, do you know, you, you know, tell me about heaven someday. Oh, yeah, I'll go to heaven someday. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm trying really hard to live a good life. I'm being a good person. That's trying. It doesn't happen that way. I know it's counterintuitive. I know that that's, that messes with us, but it's not it. Okay, now go back to this. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. Jesus is talking about salvation. How is a person saved? There is a door to salvation. There is a door. There is a door that you can go through. You could literally go through that door and have inherit, right, eternal life. Be made right with God. Be made whole. Have peace with God. Know that you know that you know that when you pass, you will instantly be in glory. There is a way. And one of the things that I love about this, it says, work hard to enter the narrow door. Think about this. God actually made a way. There is a way to know. There is a way to salvation. There is a way for you to have peace with God. It's not like God just says this, and I, please don't, because I said this earlier and it sounds irreverent. I, I don't mean it this way. But God, God could have said, well, there's heaven and hell. I'm not making a way for you. You can all go to hell when you die. And, and I don't mean that in an irreverent way, but I'm just saying he could have said that. I'm a holy God. You can't possibly be with me. No, God actually made a way. There is a door. There is a way that you can go through and receive, inherit eternal life. I would just say this. If you're someone who doesn't call yourself a church person, I, I would just say heads up because we're going to talk about exactly how that is. You could, you could come into this building one way, but you could leave another way and have complete assurance. But notice that he says this, enter the narrow door. Now watch what happens here because Jesus just threw out the idea that all roads lead to heaven. He just threw that idea out the window. All roads lead to heaven. You know, how will you get to heaven? Well, you know there are a lot of different ways. You can go this way, you can go that way. Where are you going for vacation? Duluth. How do you get there? I just go take any old road. They all go to Duluth. You all know that. Okay, that, that doesn't work with salvation either. It's not just any old way. And this is one of the things that gives Christianity a really negative context, a really negative view. Because you Christians are narrow-minded. You're narrow-minded. As if, now just think with me for a minute, just reason for a second. As if narrow-minded is always a bad thing. As if it's always better to be open-minded. Question, how many of you would like to go on vacation to get on an airplane where your pilot is really open-minded? 
Is that better? Like, hey, we're flying to Miami, supposed to come in on runway 26, everybody. Gonna give 13 a shot. <laughs> Just wanna be open-minded. How many of you would like to go in for surgery with an open-minded surgeon? Like, hey, your gallbladder's supposed to come out. I'm gonna go in there and just be open-minded for a while. We're just gonna see what happens. It all turns out. How would you like people to be open-minded about one-way street signs? How would you like people to be open-minded about stop signs? At some point in time, be as open-minded as you want. Two and two has got to equal four at some point. And so I understand a lot of people like to see Christianity in, in a negative light because we're narrow-minded. That argument assumes that narrow-minded is always a bad thing, and it's not. God has provided a door. There is a way, and God's going to say, this is the way. This is the way. I don't know that we're always so, so, so upset that people are narrow-minded. I think we're more upset that they aren't our-minded. Because if they're exactly in line with you and they're your-minded, nobody's upset. God has said, I have made a way, and I'm going to show you the way, and here it is. So here's the first thing that you should know, is that the door is narrow. When we're talking about salvation, it's narrow. God has specified. He's made it obvious. He's made it clear to us. He's told us how it is, but it is narrow. That's the number one thing that you should know about the door, the way to salvation. But here's the second thing you ought to know, and that is this, that the door isn't locked. The door is not locked. The door, the way to salvation isn't locked. Now watch this. This is what Jesus says next. He says, when the master of the house has locked the door, he's locked it, when the master locks it. It's not locked right now. When he does lock it, it'll be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door. It's us. He'll reply, I don't know you, and I don't know where you come from. Right? Now, listen, the door isn't locked yet. It's not locked yet. But I will tell you this. This should make us think of two things. This ought to make you think of two things. Number one, you, we got to understand this. Eventually, the door will be locked. I hope that's a sobering thought. I hope it's a sobering thought for those of you who know people who are not saved, who haven't come to Christ yet. I hope it's sobering for those of you who say, hey, I'm not yet. Now, now, the, now there's two, two kind of ways that the door is locked, right? So one is this. This is out of Matthew's gospel. And he's speaking. Jesus is speaking again. And he's talking to people. You too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. The door becomes locked when Jesus returns. The door will be locked when Jesus returns. Now, some of you say, that's a crazy thought. Jesus is going to return. That's some crazy thought. And I'm like, it would be, except the same guy who said that was the same guy who said, I will die and I will raise again. It ain't bragging if you can back it up. Like he did that. That's exactly what he did. He rose from the tomb. We know that the tomb was empty. That's why we celebrate Easter, because the tomb was empty, because he did rise from the dead. He rose from the dead. Like, you, you can say all kinds of things. You can say, oh, no, no, the disciples, they stole the body. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A ragtag group of disciples overpowered a, a trained Roman army and stole the body. That stuff's not happening. And I've heard other people argue, well, we think that the soldiers fell asleep. And I'm like, yeah, a group of soldiers who know that if they fall asleep, they will be executed. All of them, they all fell asleep. Like nobody rolls over and goes, Larry, you better wake up because we're all going to be in trouble, brother. Wake up. Like that would have happened. The stone was rolled away. Nobody heard that. Nobody woke up. This Jesus who said, I will die and I will rise from the dead has also said, I'm coming back. And then he goes on to say this. Understand this. 
He's given an illustration. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he'd keep watch. He wouldn't permit his house to be broken into. Isn't that true? If you know the burglar was coming at 2 o'clock today, wouldn't you be sure to be home just, just so they wouldn't come? You'd just scare them off. You'd just be out. Okay, in that same vein, Jesus says, also, you got to be ready for all, all the time for the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, will come when it's least expected. See, we don't know when the door is going to be locked. For sure, when Jesus returns, it's too late now, and the door is locked. And that would apply to you if you've never given your life to Christ, and it would apply to you, man, if you know people who don't know Jesus. Now, there's another instance where the door will be locked, and it speaks to, one, the, the return of Christ, but it speaks, two, to the brevity of life. Hey, we were just at a funeral a few weeks back, a couple, was it two weeks ago, of a young woman who was 35 years old. Now, she knew Jesus. We know for sure, we know for sure where she's at, right? The, the door wasn't locked for her, but, but we don't know when we're going. We don't know when we're going, right? Look what Job said to God. Job said, God, you've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we'll live, and we're not going to get a minute longer. See, the door's going to be locked. Once we're gone, it's too late. It's just too late. This is in James' gospel, and I love this. How do you know, like just a little reality, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. It's just gone. I always tell the story of my buddy Pete, man. 40-year-old dudes out on a Sunday afternoon, like just playing touch football. Loud noise over here, everybody turns. Everybody turns the rack around, Pete's dead. 40 years old, brother just dropped. Just like crazy heart defect, just boom. Not a one of us thought that. I'm not trying to spook anybody. I'm not trying to, ooh, fear, fear, fear. I'm just saying it's reality, is it not? Like we don't know when we're going. When you go, the door is locked. It is too late. Man, if that's a decision that we have not made, we got to make that decision now, today. And I'll show you how before we leave. I'm just saying it's very real. We know this for sure. The door is narrow. We already know that, right? We know right now it's not locked. The door is not locked right now. Here's the third thing we know about salvation, that it can be opened by anyone. This is the beauty of it. This is the beauty of salvation. It's open to anyone. Look what he says now in our passage. Look at verse 29. People will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. People will take the kingdom of God from all places of the world, all over, all nations, all people. They're going to look different. They're going to think different. They're going to have different practices, but they're going to worship one through God, true God, and they've entered through the door. You can be really, really smart, and not making it to heaven. You can be really, really on the other end of that scale, not so smart, you know, and enter the kingdom of heaven. You can look a million different ways. It's going to be one of the coolest things about heaven. We're going to get there, and it's just going to be all crazy different, right? It, it, it's open to everybody, everybody, everybody. I love the, the language in Romans. If you, if you want to mark this in your Bible, in Romans chapter 10, watch how it walks through verse 10. Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result... All who believe in him are made right with God. All, all those, it, it doesn't specify. Now you get to, you get a, a little further into verse 11. It says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Christ will never be disgraced. It's anybody who walks through the door. 
It's anybody. It's all. It's anyone. Now look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, God is no discriminator of person. This, this door, I'm telling you, man, anybody, anybody, anybody can walk through that door. You can say, oh, you don't know what I've done. I would say my first response is, you don't know what I've done. You can come from any background. You could have done anything. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. You can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. It's open to everybody. And so you, may, you might be sitting in the room today and say, mm, probably not me. I say, oh, I don't know how to tell you this, but you are dead wrong. You're wrong. It's for everybody. Like, I, I, I want you to receive that this morning. Right? And so here's what we know so far. We know the door is narrow. We know the door isn't locked. We know the door can be opened by anyone. So that's three. I'm going to give you the fourth one. And this is the one you got to get. You can forget the first three. I understand that. But you got to get this one. This is our big so what. And I want you to know this. It's narrow. It's not locked. The way to salvation and knowing that you have eternal life with God. Right? We know that it can be opened by anyone, this salvation. But here's the thing you have got to take home. And that's this. The door is Jesus. That's the only door. It's narrow, but it's open to everybody. It's not locked. Yeah, it's narrow, but it's open to everybody. You have got to know that this morning, that the door is Jesus. That's for you. That's for anybody that you know. Now, Jesus was speaking of this same idea, and he was using this illustration, and he was calling himself the gate, and he's calling us the sheep, and he had just used this same kind of idea. And he says this, those who heard Jesus use that illustration, they didn't understand what he meant. Like, Jesus dropped this illustration, and it just bombed. Kind of weird, like, it, it, just, it just didn't work. And so Jesus says this. So he explains it to them. Okay, I'm telling you this. Listen, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the door. I'm the way. Jesus is saying that. He's very crystal clear about it. And then he repeats the idea again, and he said, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through Jesus will be. That's a promise. They will be saved. People coming through Jesus will be saved. And so now you got four things. Listen, the door is narrow. We know that. It's limited. We get that. The door isn't locked. It's not locked yet. I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking to you for those people that you know. The door can be opened by anyone and the door is absolutely Jesus. All right, so we always have a big so what. The big so what is this, the door is Jesus. But then we have a big now what. The big now what. And, and I don't want to get into this and cast just a little bit of vision for the church today. The big now what is this. You gotta open the door. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, do not leave. I'm gonna walk you through a prayer. I'm gonna lay it all out for you. Do not leave this building without surrendering your life to Jesus today. Without entering the door without walking through. Man, don't leave without doing that. But I'm going to cast a little more vision for you. This is Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20. Some of you memorized this as kids. Revelation 3.20. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, look, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. It's Jesus standing at the door and he's knocking. And he says this, if, this is an if-then type of clause, if you hear my voice and also if you open the door, then, if then, then I will come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. This is Jesus making a promise. This is saying, man, I'm knocking at the door. Now, I want to show you something. I want you to think about this just for a minute. This is a, 
maybe one of the most famous paintings of all time. And uh, this guy paints this painting in about 1852. And he he got so into this painting that he actually went to Jerusalem. He he actually got in trouble because he was trying to really understand the landscape. Like he got in trouble for peeking in people's backyards. It's a little creepy, but go with me for a minute. And, And he wants to know the landscape of Jerusalem, right? And so he paints this picture. He was just so enthralled with this idea, this revelation that he had, that he paints it. It's called The Light. It later became known as uh, the sermon in a frame. And so the whole idea is this. First of all, notice this, that he's, he's knocking on a door. This is Jesus. And it's got all these weeds and all that stuff around the door because no one's ever gone through this door. That's why Jesus is knocking because no one's ever gone through this door. And some of you know this. The most important aspect that this, that this painter had was that he didn't paint a handle on the door. There is no handle, right? There's no handle on our door. And the reason is this, because Jesus can only do this. That's all he can do. But he doesn't do this. He doesn't pull it open. That's your job. Your mama can't pray you into heaven. Like your mama can't, your mama can't get you into heaven. Your father, happy Father's Day. Fathers, you cannot drag your child into heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot educate your way into heaven. You cannot good your way into heaven. You have to open the door. I'm gonna show you how to do that. It's available. But can I just cast a little vision in the church today? Listen to me. If that's you, we're gonna take care of that right now. We're gonna take care of that. But I I wanna cast a vision for two other groups. Number one, I believe this with all my heart, that there are people here every Sunday who said, I kind of walk through the door, but here's how I like to play it. I like to play it like this. I like to do this, I like to straddle it. I'm gonna tell you this, and listen to me, you know it's true when I say this. Those of you who are doing that, you know it's true. There is no one more frustrated and unhappy than a person who lives with a foot in each world. You're frustrated, you're you're, you're just with angst at times, you're unhappy, because you're trying to live in both worlds. It doesn't work. I'm saying there are some people who have kind of opened the door, but now here's what you've done. You, you don't really want to fully walk in and you do this. And I'm saying there's some of you here today, you need to get all the way through the door. You need to get on board with the church. You need to get on board with the mission. We are busy, folks. We're on a mission. Which leads us to the third group that I, that I really want to talk to today. If that's you and you've walked through the door, folks, I know your seats are comfortable, but our faith is not. Our faith is not about comfort. Our faith is about you getting on the team, you being a part of the mission, because there are folks who have not opened the door yet. Some of those folks don't even know there's a door, and if they think there's a door, they don't know what the door is. Now, we were at the park Friday night. We had lunch here. We're we're, we're pulling neighbors in. We are trying to make relationships, because some folks don't know what the door is. They don't even know there is a door. It's time, like church, it's time. We got to go. Like, people don't know about the door. Who do you know who doesn't know about the door? Because it's open right now, but it will be locked. It is not unlocked forever. So we gotta get busy. So I'm casting vision for all three groups this morning. Those of you who clearly walked through, get on mission. Can I, can I just say this? Some people who've walked all the way through the door, if you're not on mission, you just get up every morning, you kind of feel like this. Like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Not really sure what I'm up to here. Not really. 
Listen, man, when you fully walk through the door, your life has meaning, your life has purpose. You sense that, especially once you find out what that is. We can help you with that. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray and I'm gonna lead you through a prayer. And some of you need to pray this prayer for the first time. Like you need to commit your lives to Christ right now. For those of you who know you have, I want you to be praying for them right now, because that's a big decision. For those of you who got a foot in, in kind of in both, maybe you would pray this prayer with us again. It would be a prayer of recommitment. And moving forward today, you are moving on. You're gonna get on board with the mission and we're gonna make sure that more people find out about the door. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Jesus, the way that you speak life to us. So grateful for that. We thank you, God, that you're God. We worship you as the God who has made a way. You have made a door for us, God, and we are grateful for that. We say thank you. You could have just left us on our own, but we're grateful for that. We say thank you. And now for those who have kind of, are kind of straddling the line, or maybe you've never made that decision, I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. I would invite you to pray it with me. And uh, it's not a magic prayer. There are no magic prayers, but God understands your heart. Some of you, I think you've been looking for it for a while, but as I pray this out loud, you could pray this silently in your heart. God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are, that you are the almighty, that you are the creator. I acknowledge that you have made a way for me to have my sins forgiven, to live at peace, to be in relationship with you, to know for sure that I will have eternal life. And so today, God, while I acknowledge who you are, I acknowledge my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive your forgiveness. And now, Jesus, I come through the door. I surrender my life. I commit my life to you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit now fills me. Thank you that your word says, the old is gone and the new is here. I am now a new creation in Christ. Use me, God, use me, I say. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. 